Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for our bonus episode this week. A public defender's perspective, where I had an attorney working public defender, Chris P., on the show to talk to us a little bit about his experiences working as a public defender, his outlook on the criminal justice system in general, and even a little bit of insight into the Jennifer Jeffley case. Uh, Zach is out on assignment this week, so it's just me and Mike. This is probably going to be a short follow up because we don't, you know, the. They always are with interviews. There's not a lot of questions, of course. I, I opened up for everyone to just ask us anything for these follow-ups. So make sure next week, too, you can ask us anything you want to know about during these follow-ups, during these these few filler episodes as we're leading into starting Season 11. Uh, but we're going to get to your questions and, uh, and talk to you guys a little bit about where we're going forward from here right after a short break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before we get into your questions, uh, I, I want to just throw this out to you guys. If anyone has anyone in particular that you'd like to hear from for these next, I th- I'm thinking after this Sunday, I'm thinking we have probably two more bonus episodes before we start season 11, maybe one. I've got, I've already started work on the storyboard for it. I have the case file, still a few documents and things that I'm looking for that I don't have yet. And there's a couple of key people that I want to interview that I haven't connected with yet. So we're plugging away, working on on season 11. Um, really excited to get started on the case. But this week's episode, the one coming in two days on Sunday, is really interesting. Um, our, our guest has designed and patented software to help with crowdsourcing uh, to help solve crimes. He's had some success with it, and he's got a, a roadmap for the future with it. Really interesting interview there. And then for next week, uh, I'm, I've, I've got a case that I want to talk about. I'm trying to find someone to interview. Um, I'm kind of looking at maybe next week if I can't find anybody to interview. I may just tell you the story of the case. It's got some tie-ins to the Jennifer Jeffley case. And so anyway, I thought it would be really interesting. So I may be doing that unless I can find uh, a good interview in the next couple of days for that one. Probably going to be one more bonus after that. So if there's someone you would like to hear interviewed on the show, please let me know either through email, Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram, wherever you want to It'd be super great. If you have, um, if it's somebody, you know, I have a connection to, or if it's someone that you have a connection to, to help us with that process, just, just because, you know, during these filler episode times, our bonus episodes, it's it, the, the idea is to give me time to make sure we're doing a good job putting season 11 together. And so, um, any time that I'm spending helping, you know, tracking down and booking people is just taking away from that and could potentially push the launch of season 11 back just a little bit further. So let us know if you have any ideas or any connections. Uh, as far as this episode goes, uh, I had a really interesting conversation, really enjoyed Chris P. It was nice that he's local, so he's able to come into the studio and uh, even off off the air told me a lot of uh, interesting things and interesting stories. I think he's got a really good perspective on what it means to be a public defender. And more so than anything, I, I have to admit, even myself, especially when I was first getting into this, I always I always tended to look down on public defenders, and, and never intentionally, but it, it just always seemed like as I get these wrongful conviction cases, it would be like, oh, well, he never had a chance. He had a public defender. We see a lot of wrongful conviction cases who had public defenders representing them. And, uh, since then I've learned a lot more that, that, that being a public defender is, is absolutely and most certainly not any reflection of the skills and ability of the attorney. Uh, but they, they definitely do have a lot of challenges that a lot of private attorneys don't have and certainly prosecutors don't have. So I think it was great to hear that perspective. Um, and Chris had a lot of great stuff to say. And we're going to get right into your questions. As I said, we don't have a whole bunch of them, so uh, we won't be here super long. But, uh, Mike, let's get right into them. All right, man. Our first question comes from Sarah. She says, I've often wondered if attorneys should have to work in a public defender's office and a prosecutor's office, like an internship, before moving on. Or, as part of keeping their legal license, attorneys had to donate so many hours annually to the public defender's office. Do you think either of these would help? I would like to think that they would. Honestly, I don't know. I, I think the bigger problem, and Chris and I talked a little bit about it with our justice system, particularly on the prosecution side, is where we're incentivizing the the attorneys. And it's something I, I had Michael A. Wood is way back season one. I don't know if you all remember who Michael A. Wood was or is. Uh, he was the former Boston cop who, who came out and exposed, uh, the Boston police department for a lot of their misconduct while that he witnessed while he was there working. But in those, in my conversation with him back in season one, he said, we really need to look at how we're incentivizing. He was talking about police officers, but the same is true of prosecutors. So do I think that it would be helpful? Yeah. I, I think that it would, at least at first on paper where they see what it's really like to be on the defense side. And more to the point, what it's like to be on the public defender side of things, it, it might help them understand their job as a prosecutor a little bit better. But the bottom line is, as soon as they get into that role as, say, a, a prosecutor, they're still, you know, most people, you, attorneys spend a lot of time and a lot of money to become lawyers. They don't do that just so that they can. Just get. I sh I'm not. I don't mean to generalize, but it, but for the most part, I don't think that most of them do that just because they want to go out and help people. That may be a goal, but they also want to earn a good living. You know, you spend a quarter of a million dollars on a law degree, you want to make good money and make up for that and pay off that student loan debt. And you have aspirations. Even you heard Chris say he's got aspirations. He thinks someday he'd like to be a judge. And I think Chris wants to be a judge for all the right reasons, as he broke down. But. In order to do that, they've got to move up the chain. In order to move up the chain, it's gonna. I feel like it's always going to come back to where is the incentive. 
you're incentivized in the way that you move up the ladder is to win. And that goes for whether you're a uh, a defense attorney or a prosecutor. It's it's more obvious as a prosecutor because, you know, you, that, that's how you get promoted. That's how you get elected is when you could show off that win record. You know, the you know, look how many I still remember looking at David Dobbs from season two, like at his website and, and, and one of the biggest brags on the flash page of his website was how many death penalty cases that he won during his time as a prosecutor. And and that's how we incentivize people. So I think anything they learn, any perspective they get from being in those offices. And honestly, I think a lot of people kind of get their teeth cut in as, as public defenders. Once they get into the system, I think it's got to be really difficult not to corrupt them. I mean, another good example of that is, is look at our politicians. For anybody that's ever listened to Bob and Weave or, or really my political stance anywhere, you'll know that I am staunchly independent. I think that both of our political parties are extremely corrupt and we can have arguments over which is worse, but the bottom line is they both are and none of them are out there or have our interests at heart. That's never at the forefront of what they, of what they think. And if you think about how many people that are in our federal government now, where did they start and what were their, their intentions? You know, that they, they, they got into this because they want to do the right thing and they want to make a difference and they want to help. But we have uh, 435 members of the House of Representatives and 100 senators that, uh, that really you just see time and time again. That's not what they're doing. They get in there and then these lobbyists get their hooks into them and the money starts coming in and they get different incentives and they're worried about reelection and they just fall into the same shitty system. And I think that I think and if that wasn't true, then I think our government would look very different than it does right now, is my personal opinion. And I think that we see the same thing in the legal field is, is they could have all the, a person could have all the best intentions in the world. And then they get into a prosecutor's office and they want to keep their job at, at, at the least. And they want to get promoted at, at best. And they want to maybe someday become a judge or have aspirations to even be a circuit court or a Supreme Court judge. And, and the only way you're going to do that, the way our system is designed is to win on the defense side, the, the defense attorney, there are defense attorneys in our, now I live in a, in, in a more of a rural area. So if you go into like New York or California somewhere, these prices will be much higher, but you know, you have attorneys that charge $125 an hour to $150 an hour for their services. And you have attorneys that charge $1,000 an hour for their services. Well, the ones that are charging $1,000 an hour are able to do that and, and people continue to pay it because they have a reputation. And what's the reputation? The reputation is for winning. There's always an incentive to win, not for justice. Nobody, nobody's promoting a prosecutor because you know, they, they, they win some and they lose some, but they're always fair because 99% of the public doesn't give a shit, nor would they even know if they did give a shit what's fair and what's not fair uh, because of that, that advantage that we talked about that the prosecution has anyway, where people assume that the police always get the right guy. So, so I think once they get in, they're going to win. So my larger point is I think that, yeah, that's a great idea. Do I think it'll actually help? Unfortunately, no, I don't. But but that doesn't mean we just give up. It means so how do we fix this? You know, we, we need to look at so we got a problem. That's a potential solution. If we don't think that solution will work, what's a better solution? And the solution is that we need to change the way our criminal justice system works overall. We need to change how uh how uh promotions and things like that are incentivized, what you have to do to move up the ladder. But we also need to educate the public. And I think that's what that's great about a lot of these true crime podcasts that are out now. Is so many people have, I mean, 
if you go back to 2014, I would say the the percentage of people in the world in the United States that knew what a Brady violation was had to be a fraction of a percent. Unfortunately, now it's not 80%, but I bet it's 5%. I bet it's higher. People know what they are because of true crime documentaries and because of true crime podcasts that are putting this information out there. But if the prosecution in the in the state were to help and and educate people in general, particularly jurors, I think that and then and then change what we're using as incentives, I think that's how we we start to move in the right direction to fix our system. Sarah says, what effect has victims' rights laws had on defendants' rights to a fair trial? You know, I I don't know. There, that's part of the balance. I mean, I, I I can't say that I that I fully even really understand the what we're getting at with the, with the question. But it's interesting. I just interviewed um, Margot from Mil- the Military Murder Podcast for True Crime Binge. Uh, it's not up. I think that interview is gonna. I think that episode is gonna air in a in a week or two. But she was uh she she was an attorney in the military. And she worked in her later years while she was still in the military, worked as a, a victim's rights counselor coordinator and and talked a little bit about that and really explained what that process was. And a, and a lot of that is so that especially in, in sexual assault cases where, you know, we know that that's the most underreported crime out of any uh, and there. And we know all the reasons why many women don't report that crime, especially in the military and kind of the good old boys club that it is. And her job was to be assigned to the victim to help represent them through that process. So when you say victims' rights, that's kind of what I have in my mind right now. I'm not exactly sure what element of victims' rights that you're talking about, but it's just it's all it's all that balance, right? It's the it's the you know they talk about the, the scales of justice, but you have everything is a push and a pull. It's a, it's a give and a take. Everything, you know, we we've had the conversation a couple times here on the show about you know police lying. Be, you know their ability to lie to a suspect during an interview, and as I've said, you know I I am all for them not being able to. I hope that Supreme Court ruling gets gets overturned because we because I've seen the devastation it's caused. But but if I would be lying if I said I one hundred percent don't see the positive side to it. Because you know we we look so much at cases where victims are or where where people were convicted wrongfully who are actually innocent so we see that side and i think most people don't but we're able to see that side and that's why you know if you balance this out in my opinion it's better not to have it but then you can certainly see the side too and i in in last year when we talked about this i kind of used the example of what if my kid was kidnapped and missing somewhere and the person that's in the interview room was suspected of taking them and might know where they are in that case, can I say that I wouldn't want the police? To, now, I'm not saying you should legislate based on my this anecdotal situation, but can I honestly tell you that I'd be like, listen, you know, you make sure you read them all as real. I'd, no, I, I would want him to waterboard the son of a bitch until I find my kid. So there, there's that that give and take where we need the vi- victim's rights are very, very important. So are defendants' rights, and those two, I'm sure, at times can conflict with each other. It's just a it's just a very we have a very complicated system, and unfortunately, there's just no easy answers. You know, it's a, it's a it's a system that was put into place hundreds of years ago, and the world has changed since then. And we still have all the same rules and the same system. You know, these things slowly get changed over time through Supreme Court rulings and precedents. 
But, you know, what what is the Supreme Court supposed to rule on? The Constitution, right? They're not supposed to legislate. They just rule in the Constitution. The Constitution was written 200 years ago. So, you know, it, it's – I'm not arguing the validity of the Constitution or anything like and like that. I'm just saying that there's 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 certainly going to be problems when you have a situation like that. And I wish I knew the solution. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Barbara says, this isn't really a question, but I wish it was mandatory that jurors watch the movie 12 Angry Men. It's originally from 1957. Before they start deliberating. It's a great movie. Have the three of you seen this movie? If not, I highly recommend it. I recently saw it again and still so relevant. So I haven't seen that, Bob. Have you? Yeah, actually, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say I've never seen it either. I've I I know of it, and I kind of know the the premise of it, but that's but but I I can't but I haven't actually seen it. But it it brings up the point too, and we're talking this episode seems to be the more about the criminal justice system in general than anything else. To me, I think a lot of our problems could get fixed by doing what this what the point is of what she's suggesting here is educating jurors. And I've said this for years. I've, I've somehow I'm, in the 11 years we've been together, my wife has never been called for jury duty. I've been called five times and have had to sit on two jurors, juries. So I've been through the, this process a lot. And the little video they show you at the beginning before you go in, it's just, it's just not enough. I, I, I wish that there was like a true, uh, somehow they really educate jurors on the law, on their duties and responsibilities. You know, we had an incident a couple of years ago where one of the one of the trials I sat on was for a drunk driving case. And and just real quickly, now I found out more information later because I actually met the prosecutor outside of the courtroom uh, in another setting and he filled me in on the things that he wasn't allowed to present. But in the courtroom, this this woman was was arrested and charged with with a DUI. And you know, in Michigan, the legal limit is 0.08. And by the time she, when, when she got to the police station and did the breathalyzer, she blew a 0.05, which is under the legal limit. And then all we have is the officer who says, based on his assessment, he thinks that she was drunk. And he, they showed the body cam footage of him, of her talking to him. And he said, well, look how she's slurring her words, but she really wasn't. You didn't hear her slurring her words. And then he explains that. Uh, he put her through the the tests that you you know the you know stand on one foot, touch your nose, walk on a straight line. Those you know say the say the alphabet back and forward. You know those types of things. And he was saying, well, when she was supposed to stand on one foot before her thirty seconds were up, she had to put her foot to the ground. And he testified that seventy percent of the time 
the statistics say that that indicates that she is intoxicated. So, and that was the, the, the full strength of their case. And the rest was, was just theatrics from both the defense attorney and from the prosecutor. And I thought, I, as I said back then, as I feel like I was part of a wrongful conviction because I sat on the jury the whole time. And then we went back to deliberate and they pulled my number as being the alternate. And I had to go home and didn't get to be part of the verdict. And then I got a call from the bailiff a couple hours later because he asked for me, he asked if I wanted him to call me and let me know how it turned out. And they convicted her unanimously, 12 people. And I was just shocked at it because for me, I know the law, I know the standard of proof is you're innocent until proven guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. When the officer's testimony is that based on what he saw, there's a 70% likelihood that she was drunk, to me, that is the definition of reasonable doubt. If there's only a 70% chance she might have been drunk, and when she blew in the breathalyzer, she wasn't drunk, she's, that's not guilty. But 12 people convicted her. They all voted to convict because they thought she was guilty. In my opinion, they, they did not follow the law. They did not follow the standard. And that is what it, the biggest problem in our system is the jurors just don't understand the law. They don't understand their actual duty and and what they what they should or could do in a situation like that you know when i talked to talked to the prosecutor later there was they like said there was more information and he actually listened to the podcast and he called he called me a fucker really yeah <laughs> it was friendly but he's like you fucker he's like i listened to that it's like she was so guilty she was mm-hmm. very she was guilty and then he filled me in on this other other information that wasn't wasn't allowed in as evidence i'm like oh well you didn't prove your case and I explained to him why. And he's like, honestly, he even said, he said, honestly, you're right. That doesn't meet the standard. If my case is there's only a 70% chance she's drunk, that's reasonable doubt. But but anyway, the, the, the point is, yeah, they should watch 12 Angry Men. I Assuming from what I heard about it, again, I've never seen it. But but juror education is the biggest thing that we need to do if we're ever going to fix our criminal justice system. We have to, as, as Chris and I talked about, the entire procedure of a trial is based on the fact that the prosecution is at a disadvantage. Everything is based on the fact that they are at a disadvantage. And when the reality is, it's it's so far the other way. It, it, it's not even close that the, the jurors, for the most part, generally and typically assume that the person that was arrested and charged and is on trial is probably guilty, and they want them to prove their innocence, even though it's not their job to prove their innocence. Lynn's got one for Zach, who's not here, but I'll read it anyway. Thanks for referring Chris P. to Bob. The episode revealed how these PDs really have to juggle so many simultaneous cases. Is it possible to get a police homicide investigator to discuss the challenges of lying witnesses? I would love to. If, if anybody, ha- I, don't, I don't personally know any police homicide investigators. As I say that, I'm thinking there's some of the people that I've interviewed, uh, were in a in a former life homicide investigators, but um, one of them is the person you're going to hear from Sunday. So I don't know if we were going to talk to him two weeks in a row. Plus, he's on True Crime Binge, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, probably not him. But if but if anybody has some suggestions, or if any of our listeners are homicide investigators, I know we have a lot of cops listening. Uh, I'd be happy to interview. As I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, we're looking for interesting content for you to put out for you guys in these in these weeks while we're preparing for season eleven. So let me know. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chabin says, as we're going to a new season, can we consider improving the organization of case files in Google Drive? The current system makes sense if you're just looking for the files directly related to an episode. However, if you're trying to find something specific and don't remember its episode, you're in trouble. Same goes for something general. For example, all statements given to the police. Furthermore, the shared drive isn't searchable, so you have to jump between folders until you find what you're looking for. What do you think, Bob? I I think that's a great idea. To be 100% honest, I am the worst person ever to work with Google Drive. Um, I'm a Dropbox guy myself. Um, So (laughs) Google Drive is not not my forte. Also, I'm very limited on time to try to do that. But if there's somebody out there that's that wants to tackle that, uh, then um, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to allow me to do. There's got to be a way to, I don't know, maybe make a subfolder within the season. Like when you click on the folder for season 11 and you get in and there's a subfolder for each episode, maybe if someone were to make another subfolder that had them organized a different way and broke them down by by like what what they're talking about here, which is, you know, these are witness statements, these are trial transcripts, things like that. Um, I'm sure it can be done if somebody just has some time and can copy and move those around. I'm happy to give someone, someone trustworthy at least, access to the drive to be able to do that. So if if that's something that you're, and I know I know we'll get a bunch of uh, volunteers for that. As I'm saying that, uh, which which I very much appreciate. But 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 just know that we'll probably get a lot of people volunteering to do this. So please, if you don't volunteer, unless you really know how to do this and have the time to do it. I mean, I know I, I, I so appreciate that so many of you are always so willing to help, but, but we, we probably won't select someone to do this. That's like, well, I think I can figure it out because if, if there's someone that, that already knows how to do it and, and again, has the time, cause it'll be a task, please reach out. And I'm, I'm hopefully we can get that taken care of. I think that's a great idea. Ellen says, can you comment on the recent ruling in Jamie Snow's case? People are always asking for updates in previous cases in here, and this ruling is huge, both for Jamie's pending petition for DNA testing and testing of the evidence in general. Isn't it wild that no testing was ever really done? Or maybe it was, and that could be in those 8,000 pages, and for the chances of getting the truth of what really happened to Bill Little. Yeah, this is amazing. So I think we talked a little bit about it a few weeks ago. There was a, a Zoom that we were able to join. I was on it watching. So as a part of Jamie's fight has been in all through the years. Um, and we actually had uh, Tam Alex on, who was Jamie's advocate and his love interests uh, from from season seven. She has the podcast, The Snow Files, who's been continuing coverage of Jamie's case since we ended season seven. Uh, I had her on True Crime Binge also and talked a little bit about this and where he was going. But essentially, over these years, he's filed all these petitions to get full discovery, to get the full police file. I just always felt, and you heard us in season seven, you know, I think that we came up with some really good leads for a good angle of probably who likely actually was involved in killing Bill Little. But, you know, we had to do all that legwork ourselves. Well, as it turns out, Jamie was, I'm, I'm speaking off the top of my head, but I think he's received something like 800 pages. And then through this process of him fighting to get his full case file, at some point or another, he finds out 
It's a 9,000-page case file, and he was only given 800 pages of it. And so in that Zoom meeting uh, or Zoom hearing that uh, that I was watching and a lot of you were watching too, the judge uh, um, ordered an in-person hearing to further evaluate, and they just this week issued the ruling and ordered the prosecution who said that – I think they tried to claim these documents are irrelevant to the case. The judge ordered the state to turn over those 9,000 documents. So um, really happy for Jamie and and excited. And we'll certainly update if if anything's found in there uh, about season seven. But, you know, if really hoping that the answer that either the answer to who killed Bill Little or at the very least information that could finally set Jamie free in there. Uh, we're hoping that that's found inside of that file because Jamie is is absolutely 100% innocent. If you haven't listened to season seven, you should. It's very clear. We know that he didn't do it. And so, you know, in those 9,000 pages, I'd say the odds of not finding a Brady violation or some other constitutional violation of his rights is pretty slim given the dishonest nature uh, of that entire case in general. So really happy for Jamie and we'll keep you updated as that progresses. Our last question is from Jesse. Curious for your guys' opinion on the Gabby Petito case. 22-year-old girl and her fiancé go on a cross-country trip to national parks in their van. Fiancé returns home with no Gabby. Now he's lawyered up and not cooperating. It's his right to remain silent, but if he has no clue what happened, wouldn't he be leading the search parties, etc.? Very suspicious by the fiancé, in my opinion. Uh, I, I can't say that I'm familiar with the case. But I told Mike to keep that in just because the, the, we make some good points here. One, we're talking about what, you know, we always caution people to think of, to think about making judgments based on what we think someone should do or what we would do in their situation. Does it sound suspicious? Yeah, kind of, kind of a lot, actually. But I don't know all the circumstances in it. But but this this question really loops us back to the question we had a few minutes ago about victims' rights. and. Defendants' rights and, and how how they conflict. Well, here we go. So we are upset for the victim, and we want to find the victim, hopefully alive. And so we really want this person to talk. You know, how dare they not talk? And, and I'm I'm not I'm not mocking anyone. I feel the same way. It's like, no, we need this person to talk. Like they should. I wish we could force them to talk. Is how we all kind of feel about that, right? But at the same time, how many times have we told? Have we said over and 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 over again? And even in the same conversation with Chris P is you should not ever talk to the police without an attorney. And most likely an attorney is going to tell you, don't talk to the police. So this person is doing what we say that everyone should. But here's that anecdotal situation, right? But then here we are from the other side of this one going, no, we don't want that. We want them to be able to talk. So that's where these issues always always conflict. So I just think it's interesting. I told Mike to leave that in because I think it's it's a it's a good throwback to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, where we just have we've got a very complicated, messed up system, and hopefully it's going to get better. And with that, that is all of our questions. That is all of our time. Uh, definitely want to thank all of you guys for for being here, for listening, for participating. Keep in mind next week for the Friday follow-up, these are during these bonus episodes. It's a free-for-all. Ask me anything, whatever you want to talk about. Zach will be back next week. His assignment will be over by then, and uh, it'll be all all three of us. So make sure you listen for that, and make sure you tune in on Sunday. The, 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 the guy that I'm talking to Sunday, 
Super, super interesting guy. You get a background as a homicide investigator. He's worked as a consultant for several federal agencies and uh, really got to working on some technology that, that has proven to be effective and could be massively effective for crowdsourcing crime solving in the future. Check that out on Sunday. And again, don't forget if you've got a suggestion uh, for an interview for any of these bonus episodes, make sure you hit us up about that too. And with that, that's all. Thank you all very much. We'll talk to you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. 
Go break it in. Search all new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.